Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on Rockets. Your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Everyone to a new episode of Locked On Rockets, your home for daily podcast coverage of the Houston Rockets. I'm your host Ben Duos. In today's episode, the day after the big 137-125 win over the Thunder, I'm joined by Eric Spiropoulos. He's been a guest on this show plenty of times before. Good friend, writer for 16 Wins of Ring, Hoops Habit. Does a great job covering the Rockets and the NBA as a whole. Eric, what's going on, man? Doing pretty well myself, Ben. How are you? Doing well. I think everybody in the Rockets community is doing pretty well after yesterday, and especially after getting the news just a couple hours ago that James Harden is at practice. There's no other shoe dropping. The wrist seems, I don't know if fine is fair to say, but certainly something that he can play through. Uh, We'll get to kind of the rest argument and what the Rockets should do there in a few minutes. But I want to start off reflecting on what we learned yesterday. Because, Eric, I think I've talked to you in the aftermath of a couple of those tough games against Oklahoma City. I know they were 2-1 and one going into yesterday, but all three of those games were like pulling teeth in the fourth quarter in terms of the Rockets generating offense. And yesterday, boy, you score 137 points, 79 in the first half. I don't know if it was just the presence of Lou Williams or what it was, but the matchup problems that were there the first three games between Houston and Oklahoma City did not seem to be there yesterday at all. So I'm curious your take. Was it just the fact that the Rockets were a little bit lucky in hitting shots, or was there something fundamentally different they did to make that game take on a very different tone than the first three? Yeah, it certainly was quite the entertaining game, especially for Rockets fans. Um, in terms of the, the matchup problems that many people saw in the first couple games Oklahoma City, I would argue that there still were some problems that could hurt the Rockets in the playoffs. For example, the, the, the Thunder had 16 offensive rebounds mm-hmm. compared to the Rockets just having two. Um, Enos Cantor really, um, you know, he only finished with four rebounds. Uh, three of them were offensive rebounds. He had 23 points, and he was really great off the bench for the Thunder, and he really took advantage. There was really no one on the Rockets who could, who could effectively stop Cantor in the post. Um, so I think that kind of that front court dynamic could hurt the Rockets in a couple of games in a series. But then again, when the Rockets, you know, we've seen them be able to shoot this well, maybe not, you know, 51% from three. Um, but when Lou Williams has games like this, and he can put together a couple of these kind of games in the playoffs, that is huge for the Rockets. Um, because Eric Gordon was inserted to the starting lineup, and he was great, 24 points. Of course, James Harden was great passing the ball with 12 assists. Um, Ariza was hot uh, from beyond the arc, which is something you don't always get from Trevor. Um, so, you know, in terms of the shooting might have been um, – kind of an anomaly, you know, not going to always expect the Rockets to shoot 63% from the floor and 51% from downtown, but their floor spacing, their ability to hit shots, their ability to spread the floor on offense can really create problems for the Thunder. Taj Gibson only played 17 minutes, um, meet. that could be in part because he can't chase the guys around the perimeter, and this is without Ryan Anderson. Um, so I would argue that, you know, while the Thunder could still take advantage of the 
the boards as they did yesterday, they really didn't mean anything because the Rockets came out and were happily on dark, which is something they're certainly capable of doing for a couple of weeks or two, and which would equal a series in the playoffs. Yeah, obviously Lou Williams was the leading scorer with 31 points, which is ridiculous, 11 of 15, 7 of 8 from behind the arc. But I think one of the underrated storylines of this, James Harden was, by his standards, pretty inefficient against the Thunder earlier this year. You look at those earlier matchups, he had a 4 of 16, a 6 of 23 in December. Even the game in January that they won, I believe he was looking up now 6 of 16, whereas yesterday he's 8 of 15, shooting better than 50% from the field. A theory that I threw out on Twitter and also on my post-game show yesterday was that maybe the presence of another playmaker like Lou Williams and maybe Eric Gordon playing fully healthy as he seems to be these days, that might mean a lot for James. Whereas, you know, the early matchups between these two teams, you know the Thunder, they're very long, they can hedge on James because while the Rockets have a lot of shooters, a lot of guys who can put the ball in the hole, they don't really have that many playmakers. But when you have Lou Williams and to a lesser extent Eric Gordon creating the way they did yesterday, does that also make the game easier for James Harden? Yeah, it definitely does. He, James Harden looked extremely comfortable yesterday, you know, dictating the offense. Uh, I don't remember who I saw on Twitter said that, you know, James Harden could have scored 40 yesterday, basically. He, he was 8 of 15 from the field, shooting pretty efficient, efficiently. Um, but he decided, he realized that everyone else around him, like Ariza, Williams, and Gordon, were all hot from beyond the arc. So we decided, you know, let's pass the ball, let, let them take over. Um, and this is where Lou Williams, the trade for Lou Williams is so crucial because before, um, in the past three matchups, the Rockets had Corey Brew in that spot. You, you plug Corey Brew into the corner and you're lucky if he hits one corner three every five games. But mm-hmm. Lou Williams yesterday in the corner was explosive. Uh, and then Lou Williams can run the pick and roll, uh, whether that be with Nene or Quinn Capella or even Harold be getting hits. Um, so that's why the trade for Lou Williams is so crucial in games like this because now the Rockets can nonstop just flood the Thunder with threes. Um, spread them out nonstop and don't have to rely on Corey Brewer or Campbell for spacing option in the corner when they have Williams and Eric Gordon playing together. Other thing that stood out to me, of course, was Trevor Ariza, 9 of 11, one of his best shooting games in a while. And, well, thankfully, over about the past three weeks, he's it's been a little under the radar, but his three-point shot has perked up again. One thing that I was interested in yesterday, a few people noted that, well, he got most of his minutes at the four in the absence of Ryan Anderson. So I'm curious if you think that helps him get better looks. Obviously, when Ryan comes back, he's going to play. But is it maybe in certain matchups, Oklahoma City being one of them because of how big they are, maybe Trevor at the four is a weapon the Rockets can deploy from time to time in the playoffs if that's what the matchup calls for? Yeah, I would definitely love to see some of uh, Trevor read that before in the playoffs. Especially, there are some games where Ryan Anderson is, is cold from beyond the arc, and when he's cold from beyond the arc, he's basically useless on the floor. He's mm. not going to give you as much anything on the defensive end. Um, doesn't really take the ball inside the perimeter on the offensive end. So putting a read at the four, he's more likely to get better open three-point shots, um, and he's certainly capable defensively to guard opposing fours, or they want to put James Harden on opposing fours, which they did often yesterday, because Harden um, has shown a great ability to defend power forwards at a really competent rate, um, and then you can move Ariza to guard you know, a great wing player, um, if it's the Warriors, and guard Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson or someone like that. Um, and then on the offensive end, Ariza can certainly exploit uh, opposing fours which is you know, probably a big reason why Todd Gibson only played 17 minutes. He really didn't want to chase Trevor Reese around on the perimeter. So I Good think point. that um, seeing a lot of Trevor Reese in the playoffs would be a great thing for the Rockets. We touched earlier on the matchups, and you posed it 
a couple of good points on where the Thunder could still give the Rockets some problems. I'm of the opinion, if I could choose, I would still say Memphis is my preferred because I don't think they have the firepower. Now, unfortunately, Memphis is already a couple of games back and they have a tough closing schedule. So while it's not impossible, the odds are low, I think, that Memphis gets to the six to play Houston. I think it's going to be, you know, the Thunder or the Clippers, Thunder being the best chance, uh, those are the most likely. And then there's an outside shot of Utah, but I think we all kind of have Utah last on our list of teams you'd rather play. Uh, to me, there's still a big gap between the Grizzlies and the Thunder and then the Clippers and the Jazz. I think I'd still prefer playing the Grizzlies the most. But after that, especially after seeing that game yesterday, I'm a little more comfortable playing the Thunder. Whereas those last two teams, the Jazz make me nervous just because of the matchup. We've seen the fits they give the Rockets with their defense and their length. And then the Clippers, I know the Rockets have had success against them, but you have three all-star caliber players it's, it doesn't scare me as much as the Jazz, but I'd still rather play the Thunder, the Russell Westbrook show, than three All-Stars in the Clippers. So I'm just kind of curious if you look at it the same way or how you break down the four possibilities and uh, who you think Rockets fans should be cheering for or not cheering for down the stretch of the year. Yeah, I actually completely agree with you. I'd probably put the Grizzlies as the, the team that the Rockets fans and the Rockets team should prefer the most. And then I'd go with the Thunder second Clippers third and then Jazz fourth. No one on the and no one in the Rockets organization or on the fan base should want to see the Jazz in the playoffs <laughs> no. unless it's in the conference finals. Um, the Clippers, the Rockets had success against them. They blew out the Clippers, a healthy Clippers team in LA a couple of weeks ago. But as you mentioned, you just never want to face a Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan threesome in the playoffs. Even though they're struggling, they had a horrendous collapse against the Kings yesterday, and you know we know the Clippers struggles in the playoffs. But he's still an extremely dangerous team for the first round. And then, as you said, you know, yesterday's game against the Thunder made me more comfortable about the Rockets' chances in the Thunder series. Um, they pulled out some really tough close games early on, used some defense in some of those games, and then yesterday they used their firepower offense, which kind of like the Grizzlies, the Thunder simply don't have the firepower to match um, the Rockets. Of course, they got Russell Westbrook, but around Westbrook, you know, one of the arguments that people defending Westbrook for MVP says he doesn't really have anyone around him. I think that's an exaggeration, but it is true to an extent that, you know, if Westbrook's putting up great numbers and no one else is putting up numbers, you can manage that and you can win um, defending them that way. So I'd probably go Grizzlies 1, Thunder 2, Clippers 3, and then Jazz 4 in terms of preferences. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I know a lot of folks say they're comfortable playing the Clippers, and I'd still pick the Rockets to beat them. But a point I've made before with the Clippers, to me, it's almost like a wounded dog. There's going to be a sense of desperation because no matter what they say, you know there's a chance that the Clippers, it all gets blown up this summer. Chris Paul and Blake Griffin had potential to leave. Doc Rivers, there's been a lot of rumors about him and Orlando lately. So you know that the Clippers, especially going into a first-round series, they know that if it doesn't work out, there's a chance that it's all over. So you're going to be playing a very desperate team. And yes, I still think the Rockets would win that series anyway. But yeah, I'd much rather uh, take my chances against the Thunder or the Grizzlies, given those circumstances. Eric, you kind of led into my next question with your analysis of uh, Westbrook, the players around him. What everybody's talking about today on the national shows is the MVP race. And to me, that game yesterday was kind of symbolic because it's you know, it kind of makes both sides harden in their arguments a little bit more because Westbrook had the superior statistical stat line. It was, you know, in some ways impressive to watch the way he never let them give up. But the flip side is that, well, Harden got the win and it seemed like he had a better effect making his teammates better. So to me, 
what I took out of that game was that if you believe, which I did, that Harden had the award going in, then something needed to happen in that game to dramatically change the narrative. And as I saw it, the narrative was exactly the same coming out of Houston, Oklahoma City as it was going in. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't see any, I didn't see anything in that game that really changed the narrative. Um, though, then again, we don't really know what narrative uh, Russell Westbrook supporters will use, use each week because each week it seems that they have new reason that Westbrook's the MVP and Harden's not as Harden continues to kind of break those narratives or break those arguments. Um, you know, the one the, the one that seems to be the biggest narrative right now, especially after yesterday's game, is that Harden has had so much more help than Westbrook. Um, but then I would point to uh, the past two MVPs coming from Steph Curry on the, the Warriors, with obviously with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green around him, and obviously great role players. Um, so I guess we're going to forget uh, those past two MVPs if we're going to use this argument. <laughs> and then I would even go in depth on that argument and say that while the Rockets have more shooters and Daryl Moore did a great job of, of building this team around Harden and Mike D'Antoni did a great job coaching this team to its full potential, Oklahoma City definitely has more established defenders and they clearly want to use their defense to win games. The only thing is that they're not using their defense to win as many games as the Rockets are using their offense to win games. Um, and then the third thing about this argument that really bothers me is this kind of notion that everyone knows, well, what Westbrook the Thunder are a terrible team. Well, these are hypotheticals, but I will say this. The Atlanta Hawks are 0-8 without Paul Millsap this season. Now, does that, make that, does that mean that Millsap is the MVP? Because we've seen this season the Hawks are actually a terrible team without Paul Millsap. So I don't like that argument about without this player, this team is terrible. They do it with LeBron as well. Um, you know, Millsap kind of disproves that because Millsap is nowhere close to being an, the actual MVP, but yet the Hawks are 0-8 without him. Um, you know, those are three kind of narratives that Russell Westbrook supporters will use for his MVP candidacy. Um, and those are the reasons why I have a problem with them. Yeah, it's a it's a complete straw man argument because no one's it, no one's made the case that that's the criteria for the MVP. It's just one of those artificial things that they've come up with. Eric, another angle I wanted to explore with the MVP race with you. I know both of us in late February. I don't want to say we were pessimistic about James, but on Twitter we were two guys that were definitely pointing out his inefficiency. We know the Rockets had some struggles in January and February, and there was a stretch, I believe, about a month where he shot uh, below 40% from the field. And it was never bad enough where you'd say, well, you know, he's not the front runner, but at least uh, for a couple of weeks, it was very close between Harden and Westbrook. And then in March, it's been amazing to me to watch Harden get a second win because I called up his game log right now from March 1st through today that started with the Clippers game through the Oklahoma City, the last 12. He's scoring over 32 points a game, over 11 assists per game, on 50% shooting from the field. So to me, when you look at the workload that Harden's had this entire season, the fact that he's having arguably his finest month of the entire year in March Boy, to me, that's most impressive of all because we know the kind of workload he's had in Houston is the only true all-star level player on the team. And it seemed like, I don't want to say that we doubted him because we know how brilliant he is, but for Harden to bounce back and kind of fight through the fatigue to have a month like this, to me, that's kind of the cherry on top in terms of his uh, MVP, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's been really impressive to see Harden turn it around this month. You, You mentioned in February shot 39.5% from the field this month, 50%, um, you know, including 30, 37% from downtown. Um, it, it's clear, uh, he's made it known publicly that he believes he is the MVP, and, and this month is, is kind of highlighting and showing that he really wants that MVP award. Um, so 
So he's going to go out there and ball and, and get the Rockets back on their winning ways after a, you know, a couple tough stretches here and there in February and, and January. The Rockets are back to winning 7-3 and three in their last 10 four-game winning streak. Um, this week, if he can have a couple of big performances this week, um, two games against the Warriors, one against the Trailblazers, all of them on national TV, uh, if he can have you know big performances in most of those games and the Rockets can pull out maybe, maybe two wins, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that would be a huge thing for Harden's candidacy. Yeah, and of course the other thing going on with Harden now is the wrist. We heard from Mike D'Antoni after yesterday's game that it happened on that brutal fall he took in Denver. I was amazed that he stayed in after that. Uh, but we know Harden has a you know, has a very good ability to mask pain. And Mike said he almost set out against New Orleans. Initially, after the game yesterday, my thought was that he would sit out this week. But uh, with the two kind of spotlight games against the Warriors, you know that's a matchup where James wants to play. I'm curious your take. After the Rockets clinch the three, they're very close now with basically a seven-game lead with nine to play. If you were running the Rockets, would you sit him down for a couple of games? I know he doesn't want to do that, but it's not just a matter of fatigue. At this point, we have an actual injury. And, you know, on second glance, I think about it today. They're playing the Warriors. I know the Rockets, they see that as a possible, if not likely, Western Conference Finals matchup. So certainly you want to get all the reps you can, experience, that sort of thing. But to me, at some point, because D'Antoni confirmed it involves a tendon, you know that involves a sprain, uh, it is possible to make that worse. I know you're not going to completely heal it with a week or two off. But to me, at some point, maybe after these Warriors games, after the Rockets have clinched that three seed, I would consider giving him a, a couple of days off. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree. I would wait. If he wants to play and he, he says he wants to play and he, and he can't actually physically play without you know really endangering his wrist, you can let him play these three marquee games this week, all national television, all against you know, Portland's in the AC right now, so all against playoff teams. Um, but then after that, you look at their schedule, and they've got games against Phoenix and then Detroit at home, Sacramento, yep. and, and they end the season against Minnesota at home. Those are games you can start rest Harden. Um, and also, I would rest um, Trevor Reza for a game or two. You really need his legs. I would rest Patrick Beverly for a game or two. I know Patrick Beverly just had those comments about how wrestling is disgraceful for the NBA, but those are three key players, you know, Patrick Beverly and Reza, we've seen them. When they got a lot of rest, they bring it on the defensive end and they can hit their shots a little bit more effectively. Um, of course, you need hard to be 100% for the playoffs. So I know they hate resting, but, you know, someone in the organization you know, should point to them and say, you know, you have some ailments. These are games we can win without you, especially those games against Phoenix and Minnesota and Sacramento. Um, you should rest because this team has lost the expectations. If this was a five through eight seed, um, then you play them and you got to fight for the playoff team. This is a team that's locked into the third seed on pace for 56, 57 wins and has aspirations to make the NBA Finals. You've got to realize that a April, an April game against the Suns um, is not more important than a playoff game, game seven, for example. Yeah, and the last week of the year, I would argue, might be a good opportunity to rest a reason. I know the Rockets don't want to go it's clear they don't want to tank a game, so to speak. They don't want to do what Golden State did in San Antonio, rest all those guys simultaneously. But there's a way, especially if you clinch the three seed very soon in the next few days, that you can kind of stagger those rests simultaneously because, um, or rest not simultaneously, excuse me. Because, for example, you know the last week of the year, they're going to be trying to bring Ryan Anderson back, get him a couple of games before the playoffs to just to kind of knock off the rust, so to speak. So there might be an opportunity to, you know, rest Trevor Ariza just as you're bringing Ryan Anderson back. 
that sort of thing. So you kind of juggle those, and that way the Rockets, well, I don't know if they would compete that well in games without Harden, but with the exception of Harden, you know, they can certainly compete in most of those games, you would think, even down a starter or two. So yeah, I would say, you know that they don't want to tank altogether, but yeah, there might be an opportunity to kind of stagger the rest over the last uh, six or seven games, whatever it is, after the three games this week against the Warriors and the Blazers. And kind of closing out the podcast, wanted to look into the Houston-Golden State matchups. Um, curious what you see as really the learning experience this week, I would say. What are the Rockets wanting to find out? And as I see it, one of the things that jumps out is, how do the Rockets have success not with Ryan Anderson? Because you look at the first two games the Rockets played against the Warriors, um, the first one that they won, Anderson played really well. He had close to 30 points, I believe. He had a ton of big shots down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Uh, the second game in Houston, that was when the Rockets just pretty much got controlled all the way, lost by like 17. Uh, Anderson tried to go in the first half. That was when he's battling the stomach virus, whatever it was, played eight minutes, came out. Uh, we know that Anderson is a stretch four. He can be a big contributor in that matchup. To me, it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, that we know Anderson, his value is hit or miss, and if he's missing his shots, you're probably better off trying Trevor Ariza or someone else at the four because Ryan doesn't give you enough value outside of his shooting. So to me, first on my list of what are we going to learn against the Warriors this week, now I know they don't have Kevin Durant, but still a lot of the dynamics are going to be very similar, and maybe this is an opportunity to say, okay, these games when Ryan Anderson does not have his jump shot, how else can we adapt uh, on the offensive end of the floor? Curious what your assessment is there. Yeah, I agree with I agree with that being something to, to really focus in on. Another thing I'm really interested to see is, is Lou Williams and how he can play in, uh, in yep. these matchups. You know, when when the Rockets acquired Williams, Daryl Morey basically publicly said that we think the best way to beat the Warriors is just a barrage of three pointers, and you know that's what Lou Williams can add. Um, you know, in the game in January, and the Warriors won comfortably in Houston. Eric Gordon shot two of fourteen, zero of seven from three point land. James Harden was zero of five from three point land. Sam Decker one of seven. The Rockets shot as a team 20%, um, 7 for 35 on threes. You know, that might something have to do with the Warriors' defense. They have, I think they have the number one defense or number two defense in the league. Um, but will the Rockets, you know, always shoot 20% from three-point land? No, and I think that Lou Williams and the addition of Lou Williams um, can certainly change that. You know, if the Rockets can implement a similar game plan they did on Sunday, which led to all those open, great uh, three-point shots, um, you know, seeing something like that, you know, allowing them to stay in the game with the Warriors and, and Seeing the Rockets have success from beyond the arc and spreading the Warriors out um, is something I'd like to watch out for, particularly Lou Williams' role in this in these matchups. Yeah, that's a good point. Just as Sunday was Lou's first game against the Thunder, these two will be his first games against the Warriors. And that was kind of an under-the-radar thing uh, that not enough people talked about. But it was really good to see Lou have a great game against a good team. Because what ended up happening after the trade of Lude to Houston, we know he came out like gangbusters those first four games, but he really struggled that six-game stretch when the Rockets played all those really good teams, you know, the Clippers, the, the Grizzlies, Spurs, Jazz, Cavaliers. That six-game stretch, that was when he, you know, he struggled. Part of it just coincidental. He missed some shots, didn't get some calls. But I thought the other thing, when you're a new player and you know that uh, the opponent is really strong, if you don't get going early, you miss your first couple of shots, it's easy to get kind of tentative and not want to uh, 
you know, integrate yourself at the expense of the team. And I think that's a little bit of what happened. Now, we've seen Lou bounce back since then and have some positive games, but they came largely, you know, in the weaker part of the schedule. So I thought yesterday seeing him have a really good game against a good team is a great sign for, you know, him being more integrated, more comfortable in the flow of the offense than he was when the Rockets went through that six-game stretch in early March. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, putting him out there against the Warriors is another opportunity for him to build on that. And then, yeah, also, as you said, Gerald Morey's vision. If you're going to bomb the Warriors with three-pointers, that's the strategy. Well, Lou Williams is certainly a linchpin of that. Eric, thank you so much for the time. Before you go, toss out uh, your Twitter handle, your podcast, your website, basically uh, any self-promotion you want to throw out to where our listeners here at Lockdown Rockets can find your work. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Eric Spiros. Um, I host the, my own NBA podcast, The 94 Feet Report. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And then, of course, you can find my Rockets writing for Hoops Have It and then my NBA uh, writing in general for 16 Mandarin. Excellent. Well, Eric, thank you so much for the time, and I'll be chatting with you again as we get closer to the playoffs, all right? Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Dan. Sure thing. That's Eric Spiropoulos, NBA writer for 16 Wins of Ring, Rockets writer for Hoops Habit, also hosts the 94 Feet podcast. Eric's a great resource, level-headed for all sorts of NBA analysis. But, yeah, I enjoyed having him on, and he made me think a little bit more, too. I wasn't thinking of the Warriors matchups through the prism of Lou Williams, but that's going to be a very fascinating thing to see this week because Lou's the poster child for what they're trying to do. The Rockets know they can't really compete with them that well on the defensive end, so it's essentially increase the variance of your offense, give yourself the upside potential to go out and score 137 points like they did on Sunday against the Thunder, and, well, we'll get a good chance to see how it lines up uh, against the Warriors. They won't have Kevin Durant, so it's not going to be a true litmus test, but certainly the Warriors are still playing some really good ball over the past couple of weeks, so it's going to be a big test for the Rockets, and, well, that's why James Harden is out there. I know I predicted yesterday that he would sit out, but, well, that's, you know, the rational guy in me. That's me thinking, okay, what would I do big picture? The, the Rockets' competitive sports, it's not always about being rational. It's about that competitive streak, and that's what makes them special. And that's the Rockets in particular, DNA in that locker room. For better or for worse, they don't rest. We've seen Beverly, Ariza, Harden, them call it out all year. It's just not in their DNA. It's not what they do. So yeah, two games over the next four days against the Warriors, the, you know, the talk of the NBA. Of course, James Harden wants to be out there. Is it in the long-term best interest of his wrist? I don't know, but it's does seem to be in the best interest of him and the team as competitors. And it's not really fair for any of us to question that because, well, that competitive instinct is a big part of what's gotten them where they are today, which is 51 and 22 and firm command of a top three seed in the West, even when, well, the consensus expectation going into the year was for them to be in the low 40s and compete for the eighth seed. So, yeah, that competitive streak is what's kept them on edge all year long. So I don't think it's fair for any of us to really second-guess that at this point. It's who they are. Let's see what happens over the next few days. And the good news is that even after those three games, there's still an opportunity to get in some rest over the last couple of weeks of the season in April, if that's what James uh, needs to get his wrist a little bit better. The other thing I'll point out in relation to that is if the Rockets had any serious concerns with his wrist at all, we saw the huge club, so to speak, the ice, the bandage come out yesterday. If they had any concerns at all after the re-aggravation, you can bet that they would have put him through an x-ray, an MRI, whatever necessary tests are. If they had any concerns at all with this being basically three weeks before the playoffs, 
they absolutely would take those precautions. So for them to let him play this close to the playoffs, that tells you that while it's probably painful, well, I shouldn't say probably, it's definitely painful, uh, it's not something that uh, they have a lot of concerns about. Because clearly wrist injuries, yeah, they can be a big deal. Just look at Pat Beverly two years ago when he's one of the toughest guys in the NBA and he couldn't play in the playoffs even two months after tearing a ligament in his wrist. And that's one extreme. The other extreme, a couple of months ago, Pat Beverly had a wrist injury in early January. And, well, he said it hurt like hell, but he barely missed any time at all. He played through it and pretty clearly played through it without making it worse and then broke through to the other side. So without having seen the MRI, the x-rays, whatever they've uh, tests they've put James through, it's not really fair for us to speculate. All we know is that, well, he is going to play tomorrow night. He did participate in practice today. So... We'll have to see if it affects him. It clearly has not to this point because he's been shooting 50% from the field since the injury. So even though it's a shooting risk, hasn't really held him back thus far. So I think Rockets fans can rest easy that it's nothing significant from a long-term medical perspective. It's just a matter of how successful James is going to be playing through it. We've had a few indicators already, but, well, we'll get three more good ones against the Warriors and Blazers this week, and then they can decide after the week is over uh, what exactly the status is and whether he should get rest over the final two weeks of the season because they will still have that option on the table. Anyway, I'll wrap up this off-day podcast there. Again, this is Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast coverage of the Houston Rockets. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked on Rockets or email us, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Questions, suggestions, advertising, inquiries, whatever you want to know about the Houston Rockets, just shoot us an email there, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to us, rate us, iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, Google Play. Tune in, just search for Locked On Rockets. Hell, search for any NBA or NFL podcast, including Locked On Texans, our sister podcast about the Houston Texans, hosted by Robert Lynn. Got a ton of great content across the Locked On Podcast Network, daily coverage of the NBA and NFL, and of course, all the teams in those leagues. My guest today was Eric Spiropoulos, NBA writer for 16 Wins of Ring and Hoops Habit. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eric Spiroz. You can follow me on Twitter, ben, at Ben Dubose. And you can also follow my work at Sports790.com. That's the website for Sports Talk 790, the flagship radio station of the Houston Rockets. Anyway, I will leave it there. Appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. And I'll be back with you tomorrow when the Rockets take on the Golden State Warriors at Toyota Center. Hope to talk with a lot of y'all on Twitter, if not see y'all at the game. And, of course, we'll have all coverage after it here on Locked on Rockets. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.